Now, as we launch into our message this morning, Hebrews chapter 11 says this. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6, but I want to read to you where we're, we're coming from out of the Hebrews by Faith series. It says in Hebrews verses 30 and 31, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, and that's where we're going to spend our time today as we look at one of the great passages in all of Scripture. This passage breaks down into four different sections for us this morning. I don't usually alliterate my points, but today it just so happened that they all alliterated or were easily alliterated. And so I have an outline for you of Joshua chapter 6, the entire chapter first, of delivering the plan in Joshua 6, 1 through 5, then demonstrating great faith by obedience in Joshua 6, 6 through 14, then devoting to destruction and amazing grace displayed in verses 15 through 25, and declaring a curse in verses 26. And so we're going to break this chapter down and look at it. But to begin, we're going to read the first five verses. So would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's infallible and errant word? It says this, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and his mighty men of valor. You are going to march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. This you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Dear Lord, as we look at this incredible miracle and testimony to your power and to your glory, may we just catch a glimpse of who you are, and may we appreciate what has happened in this record by faith. Lord, we want to praise Jesus. We want to evaluate our own lives. We want to live for you. May we do that today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Here we see in the very first section, delivering the plan. So they have to go and they have to attack Jericho. And if you looked at the maps and if you looked at the area, you understand that you couldn't bypass Jericho because if you bypass Jericho, the walled city, and you began to attack other areas that may have been easier to take, you would also have a force at your back that could come and attack you. And that would have been problematic strategy. And so they had one real option, attack Jericho. They crossed over the Jordan. The Lord performed a great miracle. They come to the city of Jericho, and the Lord is delivering the plan. And he says in verse 1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, and notice what he says here in verse 2, because it's past tense. He says, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now, I'm sure Joshua, looking at this city with the great walls and the mighty men of valor inside and the leadership inside, looked at this and thought to himself, Well, we haven't quite taken it yet, have we, Lord? But the Lord says to him in past tense, I have given it into your hands. There's something for us here. 
In our lives, we don't fight for a victory. We fight from victory. The Lord has already claimed the victory. And even in this passage, the Lord had already claimed the victory. They weren't fighting for a victory. They were fighting from victory. They just needed to be obedient because the Lord had already established the steps, planned the battle, and accomplished what was to be accomplished. And so in our life too, we don't fight for an ultimate victory. We fight from victory. The victory was accomplished 2,000 years ago on a cross at Calvary, and we are already victorious. We are still in a battle, but we are not fighting for an ultimate cause. We are fighting from that ultimate cause, and our duty, our responsibility is to be obedient. And so they were. The art of war. Have you ever thought about this much? Joshua, you're our leader. What's our strategy to take this first city in our great battle as we go and take city after city after city for God? All right, guys, huddle up. Here's the plan. We're going to march around the city, and we've got horns, and we're going to blow them. And the walls are going to fall down. What would you have thought? Let's be honest. He's been smoking something. I'm not sure what he's been smoking, but he is getting expelled from Cedarville because that's illegal stuff right there, all right? You can't do that and be a student here. This guy has lost it. We're going to follow this guy in the battle, and he's telling us we got to march around a city, and that's how we're going to win a war? Yeah, but they had just come through the Jordan. They had just seen the flooded banks. They had just seen the water stand still. They had just walked across on dry ground. They had just gathered rocks. And so in their minds, they're probably thinking, well, the Lord's done some pretty amazing stuff, but, but this is pretty far out there. I mean, this is difficult to swallow. We're going to march around the city. And so we think about this and we think about what's happening here. And we understand this is not a very strategic battle plan. But isn't it just like God? To give us a plan that makes no earthly human sense so that when he accomplishes the plan, he's the one that gets the glory for the plan and not like we were great marchers or great hornblowers or great strategists in our own mind, but it was because God is so amazing and God is so great and don't forget this in your own lives and don't look just at the walls because you see a lack of faith looks and sees only the walls. But by faith, we look to the Lord and we understand what humanly looks to be impossible is not impossible with God. God can do all things. And that's the God that we serve. And that's the God that is being recorded here. Notice also the number seven. Seven priests in verse four, seven trumpets. On the seventh day, they go around seven times. And you understand and you know from your Bible knowledge that seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. We understand that God rested on the seventh day. We understand that seven was very important in Israel's history. And so seven weeks from the Passover is Pentecost. The seventh year is the sabbatical year of rest. You do seven times seven, you get to 49. That 50th year is the year of Jubilee. In the seventh month, you have three feasts. You have the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Seven was an important number, and seven was important here. Why was seven important here? It's because he it was completing God's plan and God's way of doing it, and you do it God's way, and things tend to work out a lot better. There's a plan. What do they do with the plan? That's where we transition to the second point from this text, and we look at verse 6. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, which there's a joke in there too. Who was the only person in the Bible that had neither mother nor father? Joshua, the son of Nun, but it's anyway. 
Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest. It's a Bible trivia question. You'll thank me later, someday, playing Bible trivia over a cup of coffee. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Now notice in this verse, he says, Ark of the Covenant. Then at the end of this verse, he says, Ark of the Lord. Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city. Let the armed men go before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets. With the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So let me put a comma right here. So you get the image. There's a bunch of people in front, there are horns, there's the ark, there's a bunch of people in the back, and the center of all this was God. It was God-centered. The trumpets, they weren't weapons of war as much as they were announcing God's presence and God being there at Jericho. God was the one that was doing the battle here. God was the warrior. God was the one who would ultimately receive the spoils, and we'll talk about that more later. But the horns merely announced that there is a God. And he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is the one true God, and he is not the God that you've been worshiping for 400 plus years, and God is here, and here are the horns, and we're going to march around, and we're going to announce that coming, but you can't say a word. Now, that would have been problematic for a guy like me, because think about it. They're walking around these walls, and up on these walls are people who are probably staring at them and looking down at them, and they're probably making fun of them. And they're probably talking trash to them. And they're probably saying things like, you really think you're going to take us with a bunch of ram's horns? What, what do you think you're going to do? I don't know what they would have said. I don't know what the language of the day would have been that they would have talked smack to them. I probably shouldn't even attempt to come up with something because it could be perceived as inappropriate. But you understand they would have been talking trash to them at that moment. And walking around, you would have wanted to say something back to them. Oh, yeah? I'm about to show you something. You're messing with the wrong guy. I'm going to take you out. You just wait. Don't you know who we are? You look at football teams, basketball teams, any sports that you want to look at, and you look at people when they start talking trash to one another. What happens? Even the calm guy, even the guy that never says anything, when somebody starts talking trash to him, what does he do? It's common with males. We, we have this flaw in our DNA that when somebody talks trash to us, we want to bow those shoulders up. We want to raise that chest back and make it broad. And we want to all of a sudden show them how we can lay hands on without prayer, right? <laughs> it's in our DNA. Yet they had to walk around and the commandment was be silent. It's not your fight. Be silent. Could you have done it? I don't know. I don't know that I could. They were silent. Look at what else it says here. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And then they came back into camp and spent the night in camp. Now, if this is me, I'm just this, you get my sinfulness here and some transparency here. But if this is me, I'm looking at Joshua and I'm saying, look, I don't want to go around once. Let's take this place. What are we waiting for? It's not fun camping out here in the wilderness. Let's take this place down. 
Let's storm those walls. We'll bust open the door. We'll climb the walls. We'll put siege on the city. We'll do something. Let's take this place. What's this one time around and then go back to the camp business? I'm not tired yet. I haven't even gotten my 10,000 steps in for the day yet. Come on, let's hurry up and take this place, right? Once. Made no sense. It's what they were commanded to do, so it's what they did because they were obedient. And here they are demonstrating great faith by their obedience. And that's what we need to make sure they see is that they are demonstrating this faith. So they went and they did it once. The 13, verse 13 says, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horn of the ark of the covenant. And the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them. And the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did so for six days. Now, if you weren't looking to take the wall and to destroy the wall, then perhaps you were looking, as I said earlier, as unbelief sees only a wall, but faith looks to the Lord. Perhaps as you're walking around here and you start seeing this and you start seeing that wall and you start seeing that big wall and you're looking at that wall and you start thinking to yourself, we can't take this place. I'm going to die. I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to have a problem. Perhaps that's where you were. But notice also in this passage, the battle is really never described. It's the obedience that is described in great detail because what's important is that they obeyed and then God fought. Now that leads to the third point. We're going to spend a good bit of time on this particular point in verse 15 where it says, on the seventh day they rose early and at the dawn of the day they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. This section I have titled Devoting to Destruction and Amazing Grace Displayed. As they marched around, they got ready to blow these horns in a really loud fashion. It just so happens we happen to have some horn blowers, some shofar blowers here on our campus, and they're gonna give us an example of what one might have sounded like. Have you ever wondered what one might have sounded like? That looked pretty easy, didn't it? They made that look easy. I I think I'm going to try that. Let's see. I think mine's messed up. I think they... I'm going to try it one more time. Hold on. All right, y'all show us what one would have sounded like again. Give us another call. Express your appreciation to our shofar blowers today. So the horns that they blowed, obviously, I didn't discuss it earlier because we had them were ram's horns. They were shofars. And as they blowed those shofars walking around, it would have been something like one of those noises. We don't know which one. We don't know exactly what the call was. But those are two of the calls that were used with the ram's horns. I have a defective horn. It's purely the horn's problem there. It's not the player. I'm sure of that. But you heard probably the first call. Everybody in unison, all seven with the first call, and then it would be as if all of us yelled out and took the city. Now, I don't know that I want all of us to yell out and scream because I'm afraid the walls might fall down or something and, and 
I'm just kidding. It would be really loud and it would hurt people's ears, so we're not going to do that here in today's chapel. But you get the image now of what those horns would have sounded like with seven horns playing as you walked around. And they blow these horns, and as they blow these horns, then at the seventh, in verse 16 it says, in the seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city and devoted the city to destruction. He devoted the entire city to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute, and notice that when it talks about her, it continually mentions prostitute. I'll come back to that. And all who were with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver, the gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat. Now, can you imagine this scene? They're going around in anticipation. It's lap number six. They're coming back around to the front and they know what's going to happen and they're getting ready and they're listening for the for the horns to blow and that anticipation is building up and they know these walls are supposed to fall down and there's probably some doubt in the back of their mind these walls really aren't going to fall down. And all of a sudden the horn blows and they shout with a mighty shout and all of a sudden the Bible says those walls fell down flat. They didn't fall down in, they didn't fall down out, they just fell down flat. What would you have done had you been there? I think you'd have been pretty excited. I think in the right proper context you would have had your own little Holy Ghost party inside, excited about what God had just done and the miracle he had just brought in giving you a city that was a walled city and the walls just fell flat and that doesn't happen without the power of the Lord. They fell down. They captured the city. Verse 21, it says, and they devoted all in the city to destruction. Let's talk about this for just a minute because I have a little bit of trouble with this part just to be honest with you and to be real. Devoting an entire city to destruction is difficult to swallow, is it not? Are you with me or am I the only one that struggles with it? Now, you know me. I am not, despite whatever J.D. Greer said, a skinny jean-wearing individual. I am not a tree hugger. I am not a pacifist. I am not somebody that would look and say, get rid of every form of violence. In fact, I am an NRA member. Mm -hmm. Didn't expect that to get such applause, but just to tell you who I am, I am a supporter of our military. I'm a fourth degree black belt. I like MMA. I love football. I play football because you got to hit people and didn't get in trouble for it. That's who I am. And so for me, violence is not something that I look at and I say, no, that's not going to happen. I'm a hunter. I eat what I hunt. And so I process it myself. I do all of those type things. And so you're not talking about somebody that doesn't have that in his genes. But kill the men of valor, I get it. They're the warriors. Go to war, take them out. Kill the leaders of the city, all right, I understand that. But to slay the oxen, the sheep, the donkeys, the young men, the old men, the young women and the old women, and even the children. Let that sink in for a moment. You want to take your knife and you want to put it to the throat of a sheep, 
It's done nothing. Slay it. What about to a young girl or to a child and slay it? That's difficult for us to swallow. So this week, as I've been preaching and preparing to preach this passage, I have been wrestling with this and trying to understand, Lord, and understand this. I'm not wrestling with this in the way that says the Bible said it. I believe it. That settles it. I can't, I can't look deeply into any issue. I'm not wrestling with it with that viewpoint, but I'm also not coming at it with this God of the Old Testament was harsh and mean, and Jesus of the New Testament was loving and kind. The Bible gives us a uniform story of a gracious God, and it's one story throughout. So I'm looking at this saying, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this passage? Why is it that you showed us this? You chose to record this. Through your Holy Spirit, you revealed this to us. What do you want me to learn? And here's, this has been some of what I've learned, and I hope it's helpful to you too. Yes, Jericho demonstrates the faith and obedience of the Israelites, and it is great faith. Yes, Jericho demonstrates amazing grace as he adopts Rahab the prostitute into the lineage and family of King David and King Jesus. But Jericho also shows a devastating destruction for rebellion against the one true God. In Genesis 15, 16, it says this, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we get a glimpse of their iniquity. What is in their iniquity? Well, for 400 years, God patiently waited. God patiently endured. And we learn through Leviticus 18 through 20 some of the things that these nations did, such as child sacrifice, consulting mediums and spirits, adultery, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, and worshiping false gods. For over 400 years, God endured this. And then in four different passages of Scripture, God talks to us about what is happening here. Leviticus 18, 24 through 25 says this, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all of these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punish its iniquity, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. Leviticus 20, 23 says this, And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. Deuteronomy 9, 4 and 5 says this. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust him out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. It's not because of their righteousness. It says, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18. But in these cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. You shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, God is perpetually at war with sin. That is the whole explanation of the extermination of the Canaanites. Even amongst such a wicked devastation and a judgment that is occurring that we may have difficulty to swallow, I hope you won't overlook the grace that has taken place, though. Look at some of the items of grace here. God endured rebellion for over 400 years. 
Jericho had heard about the Red Sea and the conquest of Sihon and Og in Joshua 2.10. It's recorded that they knew. Israel marched around Jericho for six days before that seventh day came when the destruction took place. They could have repented like Nineveh in sackcloth and ashes and said, cried out to God for God to relent and God to forgive them, but they didn't do so. Rahab and her family were saved. They were adopted into the lineage of King David and King Jesus. So while with the destruction of Jericho, we see a glimpse of the final judgment, perhaps, we also, with Rahab the prostitute, see the grace that was extended to those who repent and believe. So what struck me out of all of this? Simply this. Far too often, I presume upon the grace of God when it comes to my sin. Far too often, I underestimate the seriousness of my sin against a holy and righteous God. And what Jericho does is Jericho gives us a glimpse of how badly God hates sin. So my own life this week, I've been struggling with, Lord, do I hate sin as much as you do? And I have to confess to you, there are moments I don't. There are moments where I love my sin more than I love my God, and I turn to my sin. Now, I try to be quick to repent. I try to be quick to turn back and follow God. But there are moments where sin deceives me and where I try in my own mind at least to create a a peace treaty with my own sin. It's a treaty of deception. You can't control your sin. You can't handle your sin. Sin should be devoted to complete destruction if you want to live a life that is sold out and devoted to God. So my prayer for myself and my prayer for you My prayer for all of us has been that I would begin to look at sin in my own life the way that God shows us he looked at sin in the Old Testament. And that in my own life, I would begin to try to put sin to total destruction and to view it with such hatred and such sincerity that I would seek to please God and not seek to give in or make a peace treaty or allow my sin to have any foothold in my life, but that I would live a life wholly devoted and sold out to Jesus Christ. That's what he's tried to show me through this. But you know, even as we look at this, don't miss the grace. Rahab serves as an oasis of grace in a desert of destruction, and I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to focus in so much on the destruction that you don't see this. And constantly throughout this, and again in verse 22, the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. Why did he say that? He's reminding us who she was. But don't be high and mighty. We're no better. And bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been the spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers, all who belonged to her. And they brought out all their relatives and they put them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and the gold vessels of bronze and irons, they were put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. You know, the soldiers usually get the spoils. But in this case, God was the only soldier, so God got the spoils and they put it into the treasury of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Even in the book of Hebrews, it says Rahab, the prostitute. That's who she was. We can't avoid it. We can't clean it up. We don't need to. Because what I want you to understand through this is that your past does not define your future. Your faith defines your future. So maybe you're here today and you look at your life and you look at some people around you and you go, I'm not like them. 
I got some baggage I'm bringing along. Do I really fit here? Oh, I think Greg said it well yesterday when he said we're family. And so if somebody comes up to you and they say, you don't fit at Cedarville, you don't belong. You know what I want to say to you? Don't you talk bad about my family. We're family. If you have baggage, so do all of us. There's not a soul sitting in this room that doesn't have baggage in their life. And there's not a person sitting in this room that doesn't struggle with sin. And we like to put a good front up and we like to make it all pretty. But we are all in our hearts at least spiritual prostitutes when we rebel against the one true God and do things that do not please Him. And so there is absolutely no place for us to get high and mighty and judge others. We should look around with arms of grace and say it doesn't matter what you've done. That does not define you. What matters is the faith that's going to define your future. And I say to you, be of great faith, Cedarville. Don't let the devil use your past to drag you down. Look forward to a future of great faith. There's a fourth section here that we don't want to skip. It's in verse 26. It's declaring a curse. Joshua laid an oath on them at the time saying, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundations and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. And there's a curse that's proclaimed. And oftentimes as we look at Scripture, we see a command and we think to ourselves, is this really true? Is this really going to happen? Does this God's Word really come true? Well, this one does and we can prove it because we have the text when we look at 1 Kings 16.34, which I have for you on the screen. And it says, in the days of Hiel, of Bethel, he built Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sukkub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. You want to doubt the word of the Lord? Well, there are consequences to pay. But if you have faith and trust the word of the Lord, look at the benefits that you will enjoy. So how do we conclude this? Well, I'm going to conclude this one the same way I did the last one. What are the questions that I've been wrestling with in my own personal life as I try to prepare to preach this and to deliver this to you? I've got some of these questions for you up here on the screen. Do I trust God for the impossible? If I were at Jericho walking around the walls, looking at the walls, would I trust God to say, God, you can bring down those walls? And if I do, then what are the walls in my life or in your life that we should trust God that he can bring down when we look at the walls and say, oh, that can't happen? You know, maybe the wall that we need to bring down is loving everybody because they're a brother or sister in Christ and not looking at them through any lens that might shade our view of them. Does my obedience demonstrate or betray my faith? If they had told me to walk around one time, go sit down, walk around one time, go sit down, don't say anything, be quiet, do what the Lord has told you to, would I be okay to trust the Lord and obey the Lord or would I want to take matters into my own hands and do it my way? And too often I confess to you, I like to do things my way. So this passage has challenged me to say, be obedient, be patient, let the Lord fight the battles. Do I take seriously enough God's hatred of sin? I don't think I do. I suspect none of us do. Do I overlook God's grace in situations like Jericho? Yeah, too often. I get caught up in the devoted to destruction. I get caught up in the details of a passage, and perhaps I miss the grace of Rahab. Think about this. Rahab the prostitute. 
Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. What happened to her? She was saved from Jericho. She was not destroyed. Her family was not destroyed. Think about her lineage and what happens. She gets married. She has a son. Her son is named Boaz. Boaz gets married to somebody who's named Ruth. Boaz and Ruth have some children. And lo and behold, Rahab the prostitute ends up being the great-great-grandmother of a man named David. You ever heard of him? David just happens to be in a pretty good lineage because David is in the lineage of somebody we call King Jesus. Now, isn't it just like our God to take Rahab the prostitute and have her demonstrate great faith, repentance and belief in Christ is how we would put it, and through that repentance and belief in Christ to take a prostitute, put him in the lineage of King David, in the lineage of King Jesus, and adopt her into the family of God because that's what God does. He takes broken sinners just like us, adopts us into his family, uses us for his glory, guarantees us heaven and an inheritance with him, and that's what's happened to you if you've repented and believed, and isn't that just like King Jesus. I should encourage your faith this morning. Last question. Do I display faith like Israel and Rahab or disobedience like Jericho? Achan, you know the story of him taking and stealing and what it cost he and his family and Hiel. I think those are good questions for us all to ask. It's my prayer that we will demonstrate faith like Rahab. So this will be the only time you ever hear me say this in a pulpit. But yes, today, I want you to be like a prostitute and have great faith. Don't miss that last part. <laughs> Toward God. That's the prayer for you. That's the prayer for me. So today, we look at the seriousness of our sin. But we also look at a prostitute with a heart of faith rising from the ashes of destruction. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you confessing that we are sinful men and women, not worthy of the grace and the mercy you've given us. But Lord, we pray today too that in each of our hearts and our lives you would help us to see sin as you see sin. Father, that you would help us to appreciate grace Lord, that you would help us to demonstrate the faith of Joshua and of the Israelites and of Rahab. Lord, that you would help us not to allow our past to drag us down, but to look forward in faith for our future of serving you and dedication to you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to resist the temptations of sin and to live a life solely dedicated for you. God, this is our prayer as we thank you for Jesus and the grace of the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.